Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Clients, contractors, employees, employers, maybe you're a leader or a business owner or a startup person or you're a manager or you're an employee. Doing work at whatever place you are at requires working with other people. So today, in today's interview, we're going to talk about how do you know when a relationship isn't working and how do you know when someone's a red flag? What signs do you watch for when you're interviewing somebody, whether you're interviewing a future boss or you're interviewing a contractor that you want to hire? Val Geisler is an email wizard. She has this uncanny knack for understanding the flow of customer onboarding sequences and writing the right copy and knowing how human relationships play a part. In Put in other terms, she's a fabulous connector. She puts people together with the right tools and software. She connects the right contractors. She builds the right human connections. And she does this all really, really well. After spending over a decade on the inside of companies from nonprofits to seven big figure businesses to tech startups, she has developed a keen sense for what works for modern businesses and what doesn't. And she's also founded several companies of her own. And through this combination of years of experience in the startup world and the entrepreneurship world, I am thrilled to be able to bring her on the show and talk to her about how to understand and unpack these very specific and very important relationships and how they affect our work world. So today in our interview, she shares how she learned all of these valuable lessons and what she looks for in great work relationships. And one of the things that I'm really excited that she shares with us today is how over the last five years in the course of her career, she both built her own business and had a baby while doing it. And then she worked at a startup and had her second kid while at the startup. And so she shares how having one kid as a business owner was similar and different to working at a startup and how the maternity leaves worked and her thoughts on what she would do differently in creating maternity leave plans wherever you are in all the various facets of entrepreneurship and work. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. You know when you get an email and someone is like, yeah, let's meet. Does Thursday work? And you write back, actually, Friday's better. And then you end up in this kind of email back and forth that is never ending. And just when you find the right time, you realize that you accidentally overbooked that time because of some other email thread back and forth that took forever. Yeah, we have to stop that. Our friends at Acuity Scheduling are super helpful with this, and they are the sponsors of today's episode. So head to acuityscheduling.com slash startuppregnant, and you will get a free 45-day trial to check them out. Also, everyone, as you may have heard in our last interview with Tara Gentili, for the month of March, we've got a fun project in the works. We are starting to read aloud some of the many reviews that we have on iTunes. So each episode, we're going to read one review out loud, and then we're going to give you a prize if you are the person whose review we pick. So the way to play the game is to go leave a review. We're going to randomly pick somebody and then... If it's you, if your review gets picked and read out loud on the air, you send me an email, hello at startuppregnant.com, and I will send you something fun and awesome. It's definitely going to be awesome. So today's review comes from 
SF Kelly 647. And she says, I'm loving this podcast. Sarah is a master interviewer. Oh, thanks. That was my interjection. And she keeps the perfect flow and tone throughout each conversation. Well, go on. It's rare to find a podcaster who can make you feel like you're just having a chat with friends over coffee while still asking such poignant, crucial, and sometimes challenging questions. As a new mom and entrepreneur, this is the first podcast I've found that really speaks to the challenges and joys I'm facing. Not all the interviews apply to my specific situation, but I'm enjoying getting to hear the range of experiences and perspectives. And at the end of the day, it's really nice to know you're not alone in your journey. SF Kelly, thank you so much. Those are really kind words. And also, I, I'm so glad it's hitting home because I do want to make sure that all of our guests, we talk about the challenges and the hard stuff. Actually, we get into that in today's episode with Val Geisler. So thanks for, thanks for leaving us a, an honest review. And also, send me a note if that was you. All right. Welcome, Val. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. It's an honor to be here. And, you know, you and I have these conversations on a regular basis, so why not record (laughs) one, right? Absolutely. I just interviewed the other week, I just interviewed my doula, too. So all of these conversations have been full of giggles, like lots of giggles (laughs) Um, and embarrassing stories, because that's what it should be like. I want to start by asking you, can you tell us, like... How did you get into the work that you do? Like, where did this start? Where did this passion start for you? Yeah, so, oh gosh, it's, I feel like the work that I'm doing now, you know, opening this co-working space for working parents, it's all because, like, everything that I have done leading up to this was so that I could do this. You know, starting with even becoming a mother in the first place, I was not the kid that dreamed of, you know, I didn't babysit. I didn't dream of holding babies all the time. I, I took care of my little brothers and sisters, but like I wasn't a baby kind of kid. My jobs as, uh, you know, as I grew up were like working in retail and um, I had a job, a quote unquote job at my dad's office was my first job filing papers for him, which was probably like more work for him than <laughs> that I was actually accomplishing. I was probably <laughs> misfiling everything because I was like nine, but you know, he paid me a dollar to come to his office and file papers. <laughs> and, and so like, that was kind of my like first job, right? I never really cared about taking care of babies. And, um, and then even as I got older, I never really saw myself as a mom. I never thought like, Oh yeah, I'd love to have kids one day. And I met my husband and we got married and got pregnant right away. Um, We did plan to have children. Like I thought, you know, I want to have kids now. And now that I know this incredible person that I I think we could really raise some cool humans, you know, together. So we had our first daughter right away. And then our second daughter is three years later. But, you know, becoming a mother was solely to serve the purpose of this experience of being a freelancing parent. So also owning a business, the other side of, you know, what this space is built for is for business owning parents. So I never thought that I would run my own business, that I would be an entrepreneur, that um, I was working kind of doing the traditional 
as traditional as I could get working my way up a ladder, you know, at a bigger company. And, and I just found that I was developing all these skills to run a business. And I was frustrated with the way the business was run where I was working. And so I, I just set out on my own with the encouragement of my then boyfriend, now husband, he said, you know, why don't you just start your own thing and, you know, do what you've been talking about doing. So I started a business kind of out of nothing and with a handful of skills and developed those along the way, um, working as a virtual assistant for people and then working my way up into online business management. Uh, and then my business really shifted, you know, after that. But starting a business, being a freelancer, having those experiences, and then alongside of that, becoming a mother and learning what it's like to be a working parent. All of those things exist because I'm meant to open this co-working space with on-site childcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really believe in that. It's like, hi, we have this mutual friend, um, Natalie Lucier, and she talks about a spiral staircase as opposed to like the, you know, traditional corporate ladder. Everything mm. that you do mm-hmm. in your life is kind of taking, it's all the same staircase. It's just a different view every few steps that you take because it's a spiral. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's absolutely been that for me of, you know, getting to where I am today is because of all the things that have led up to it and all the unexpected things and things that I just kind of trusted my intuition around. Isn't that amazing? And you don't even know where you're going to get necessarily, but you arrive and you're like, holy smokes, like all of these things have added up to yeah. this, this thing. So back us up. What was the first business you started? And, and was this before kids? Yeah. So before kids, before marriage, I started a virtual assistant business. So I knew a lot of business owners who would ask me, like every time we were on the phone, they'd say, well, how do I do this thing? And I don't want to do that myself. And can someone just do it for me? And whether it was sending out their email newsletter or posting their new products to their Shopify site or even building a landing page, things like that, um, for their, their brands, they needed someone to support them. And I had those skills. I knew how to do those things through training from other people. And I also am very much a believer in, I can figure it out. Like if I don't know how to post something to a Shopify site, I can figure out how to do that. I know, I know how to use Google real well. Like I, um, I can Google just about anything and, <laughs> and figure it out. And I knew, but so more than like, oh, I know how to help you fill up your products in your online store. Um, like that's a skill set of mine. I, the skill set, the drive that I had was helping these business owners that I knew who were frustrated. And I saw like, hey, there's a, there's a gap right there. Like all you have to do is those five things and, your business can be so successful. Why don't I help you do those things? And so I, I just went to the people that I knew who had brought these problems to me through casual conversation. And I said, look, I'm start, you know, I'm setting out on my own. I'm starting this business and I would love to help you with those things and um, worked out a, a rate that was definitely way, way less than they should have been paying me for the work that I was doing. Um, you know, we undervalue ourselves and especially when starting something um, that's the tendency is to to undervalue and say like, oh, sure, I can do that for $150 when it's like 
$1,000 project, you know, in real life. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. So, so I started out doing that. And over time, they were retainer clients. I never had like an hourly rate. I booked them on monthly retainers and um, I grew the retainers over time. You know, my goal at the time was to replace my salary that I had at, at the company I was working for. And, and I did that pretty, pretty quickly and then grew that salary over time by raising my rates as they, you know, trusted me more, gave me more tasks, you know, was taking on more. So that was all leading up to our wedding. And then um, I knew that I wanted to take a honeymoon. And here I was a person who was like deeply involved in several businesses on their like daily operations level. So, um, you know, they, they really needed me on a daily or a minimum weekly basis. And I wanted to disappear for a week and a half or two weeks so that I could do my wedding and take our honeymoon and not, I figured probably my new husband wouldn't like me being on the like hotel email, um, our whole honeymoon. <laughs> Work. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So what so, did you do? Um, yeah. So I hired some contractors. I, I had a network of other VAs that I knew through um, growing my own business and identified a couple of people who could fill in those spots. Some, in some cases I did a ton of work like ahead of time. So I'd work kind of double hours to prep one or two of my clients that could exist if I like pre-scheduled all the tasks in advance. Um, but some people needed, needed that daily or, or at least weekly check-in in person. So I kind of shifted into project manager mode for the month leading up to my wedding and got these contractors onboarded, got my clients used to interacting with them and knowing who to reach out to and how to communicate and all those things. And I, I was very careful to make sure that my clients knew I was still there for them. Um, I'm not disappearing. I'm just going to take a break for a week and a half. And so that was that worked out really well. I, everyone, because they were people I knew personally beforehand, um, and because they're human beings, they were like, yeah, go take your take your break, take your honeymoon and, and come back. And we're excited to have you back. So I set up my contractors for success. I, you know, prepped those couple of clients that I could where I knew then I wouldn't have to pay a subcontractor to take over those tasks because ultimately at that point I wasn't taking a new client to cover the expense of the subcontractor. I was losing money on my end to pay for those subcontractors so I could take this break. So I wanted to pre-schedule as many things as I could. So did that significantly change your business? Like, did you go back to the way you were doing things before? Or once you had these contractors, how did that shift and change? Yeah. So, well, the plan was to go back to the way I was doing things before. Um, came home from the honeymoon and found out I was pregnant. We have a honeymoon baby. Um, so, <laughs> so I went to my contractors and I said, hey, you want to stay? Um, and... I really shifted my entire business into I was project manager and they were the implementers. Um, so I interfaced with the clients, gathered the tasks and to-dos. I let the clients know like, hey, I'm pregnant. So there is, there's a bigger leave period coming up in nine months. And so I'm going to keep the team that we've assembled and I'll still be your main point of contact. I'll manage all of the, you know, nothing will change in the way that it's all done. It's just is a different person doing it. So 
at that point, then I had to say, okay, I'm keeping these contractors and I'm going to have a baby, which means like doubling my expenses. So I needed to bring in a few more clients. And so I worked to do that, um, bring in, bringing in those additional clients to then kind of offset the cost of the contractors. Um, and we could do more because we now had a team of, you know, I had four or five contractors working with me to take care of, you know, all the clients at the same time. So because we were more people, we could do more. So this is such an interesting moment because I think that hiring people and managing people can be a tremendous challenge. And it seems like it actually went really well for you. How was that? Have you managed people before? And how do you train people? And how did you bring them onto the team? What were some of the highlights of of how that worked? I have managed people kind of my whole life. So, (laughs) you know, starting with like, I was the leader of the Girl Scout troop, you know, that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I'm, I'm the oldest of four children. I've been managing people since I, since my baby sister was born. And at the same time, I don't love managing people a ton. I was really specific to, or really purposeful in hiring people who were self-managed and who were, who were kind of like me, that everything is figure outable. I need the parameters and the basic tenants and guidelines, and I'm going to make it happen. Um, so I did go through a couple of contractors, um, even leading up to the wedding and that kind of pre-honeymoon period, I went through one contractor at that point that just didn't work. There were, it was like too many questions that really, if you dug a little bit deeper before you asked the question, you would have the answer. So I, I made sure to hire like autonomous people who, mm-hmm. who knew that, that it, I mean, like I said, you can Google anything and you just need um, some powerful Google skills. So I, I made sure to hire people who had that, that intrinsic, like, I'm going to figure this out kind of mm. nature about them. Right. Um, and, it's, and like have a good sense of, of the preciousness of time in some regards. I think when people are able to say, let me not bombard you with a million emails to ask you how to do this because mm. that doesn't actually save you time. It's such a useful yep. skill. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, you know, I, I feel like the people I hired knew that if they saved me time by not asking lots of questions, they would have more work. And they did. I, you know, I brought in new clients and I rewarded the the contractors who were kind of my top contractors with more work. Um, and they really appreciated that because they, they were all people who are fantastic at the work that they do and they don't love marketing a business. So the idea of, having work just kind of handed to them and somebody else going out and getting the work and, and bringing it to them and saying, how many more hours can you give me? Um, that was awesome to them. You know, it was like dream come true. And they were a dream come true to me because I love the, the, the ability to work with a team who, who can work independently. So I don't have like amazing training secrets other than, you know, hiring the right people to begin with. Hmm. How do you and how do you know, like, let's dig into that. Because I think for people listening, it's like, well, I I know I want to hire amazing people. But how do I do that? You know, we can get so swayed by an interview where we have a great conversation with somebody. But how do you know that somebody's going to be a good fit? What markers do you look for? Yeah, um, I feel like I got practice in this uh, in quote unquote hiring clients. 
So I always saw taking on a new client as like I was hiring them as much as they were hiring me. And there's those red flags that show up when you, you know, in my case, like sending an email with three questions bullet pointed in the email and the reply is an answer to the first question and not the other two. That to me is a red flag. It might, that might, that communication style might work really well for somebody else. But for me, I want you to answer all three of those questions, especially when I like bullet point them out. (laughs) And if you'd only reply to one, then I have to go back and ask you for the answers to the other two. And so it's that like honoring people's time thing that you mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, there's those little red flags that I identified through making the wrong choices, quite honestly, like I took on clients that in my gut, I knew weren't going to be a good fit. And guess what? They weren't like, it was a frustrating experience probably for both of us. And I ended up letting them go as clients. And the same thing happened with, you know, I mean, on a lesser scale, because I kind of learned my lesson from those client experiences, but the same thing definitely happened with contractors. There were times where I thought, okay, sure. I'll give this person a chance when really that wasn't what I should have done. I, there's in, and especially with the timeline that I had, because I knew I had a really tight time frame, um, I needed to have people that I really trusted and um, knew were a great fit right from the beginning. So for me, it's like noticing those things that, that pop up that make you go, oh, that's not mm. what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no like, well, if they do X, Y, and Z and then don't do this, you know, there's no like kind of magic formula for how you know those things, but I think everybody knows their like that gut check, and probably most people listening can recall a either a client experience or even a, a hiring experience in the past, or maybe even they took a job where they knew like I need a job, but I know this job isn't a great fit for me. You know those gut feelings, especially at this point in life. It's like I know those gut feelings really well. A, a partner, a friend, you know those kinds of things, those moments. And applying those to business, like it all is the same thing. It's just a different um, application to it. Right. And I think something that you're saying that's so important is, is paying attention to those little moments that are the beginning because they are, they are everything, like how they email you back, how you guys correspond, whether or not they answer questions. Those aren't things that are going to change. You're not magically going to like flip a switch and get a different person once you sign a contract. That is such a good litmus test. Yeah, and those those needs that you have can change over time. So um, I used to think that a client or a contractor that I really wanted was someone who would like email back right away and then I'd email them back right away and then we we're just kind of like live chatting over email. And that to me now is like that maybe isn't a client I want to have um, or even a contractor I want to have because that's not how I want to communicate anymore. Um, I don't want, I don't want to be tied to my email. Like I need to respond right away to you. And, and I, I don't want that expectation either on me. And I certainly don't have that expectation of my clients or my contractors. I can communicate well in advance to allow for space um, for like the rest of your life and all the other clients and contractors that you manage. And, you know, that I, I realize I'm not the only thing in that person's life or business. Mm. Um, and so I don't so have that expectation of other people either. 
That's so wise. Now, do you ever run across somebody that you really want to work with that is a rapid communicator? How do you train them or how do you how do you get in sync? Is that something you're interested in doing or do you just say, nope, we're, we're different. We don't work together. Yeah. I mean, if I really want to work with them, if I love their project and their mission and they are a rapid communicator naturally, and that's just how they operate, I just set my expectations. Um, and I quite often find that when I say, hey, I, you know, I just want to clarify how I communicate best or, you know, how often I'm in my inbox um, and just kind of setting those boundaries and expectations for them. Most of the time they go, oh, totally fine. I don't care. I just fire off things as soon as I think about them. I don't expect you to reply immediately. You know, like that's most people, um, if they reply and say like, oh, well, that's not, that's not going to work for me. Then, then it's an, okay, then we can't work together. But most of the time when I just say like, hey, here's my boundaries Here's my, the expectation that I have of you and that you can expect from me. They say, great. Yeah. Like this is just how I communicate. And if you're cool with opening your inbox to six emails from me about different things, whenever you get to them, great. You know, I'm absolutely willing to work with people as long as we're very clear on what the boundaries and expectations are. And I love the way that you phrased that. It was like a little bit of self-disclosure almost where you're just like, hey, here's how I work. Like, this is what I do. It'll take a couple of days to get a reply as opposed to saying, here are the rules that we both have to follow, X, Y, Z. And isn't that true of most relationships? Like where yeah. you're like, hey, here's a little bit about me. This is how I do things. How do you do things? Can we meet up in the middle? Great, right? Like, oh, you do this? Mm-mm, that's not going to work for me. Totally. I mean, you know, especially like, Everything in business is parenting and vice versa. And like you, <laughs> you even have a post on, on, on the blog about how to talk to kids will listen, that book yeah. and how it applies to business. Totally. Right? So it's, <laughs> it's all the same thing. I mean, like, you know, my daughter gets in the car after school and she's like, I want to listen to music really loud. And I'm like, well, I would like some quiet time. So let's figure out, like, I want to talk to you and have a little bit of peace and quiet in the car. So let's figure out how we can meet in the middle on that. <laughs> it's, that's all it is all the time. It is. It's because it's people, right? There's a two-year-old or a manager. They probably have a lot more in common than you think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's so true. Like the basics of like kids are so raw. They're just the they're the epitome of like everything that's inside of us. That all those little things that like oh I you know, I want to rapid fire emails all the time that comes from like, I just live in the moment. And you know, that, that two-year-old inside of that person is that kid who just lives in the moment all the time and does whatever they, they feel like versus the like more shy kid who maybe needs a minute to process what's going on in the playground before they dive into the the playtime, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Um, totally. Yeah. So like, we're all just, oversized kids. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Some with some control over emotions and sometimes not. Like sometimes you're like, yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling the rage. I'm feeling angry. Yes. You took that away from me. Like that's a universal feeling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many times do you want to like throw a tantrum in the grocery store but it's just not socially acceptable anymore? <laughs> <laughs> or eat um, five ice cream cones. Like, come on. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you started this first business 
And I know actually that's one of the ways that we first met is we had a lot of online conversations about the difference between virtual assistants and online business managers. Mm -hmm. And you gave me a lot of great advice about how to start working with some of my first assistants. So can you tell us a little bit about how you moved from virtual assistant to online business management and what that means? Because to some people, that might just be terms, but they're very specific, very different things. What are they and how do they work? Yeah. So virtual assistant, when I was in that role, it was definitely more of a, here are the tasks that need to be done, go and do them. Um, so my, my clients were saying, here's what needs to be done in this business. These are the five things I need to accomplish this week. And I would then, you know, set set aside the time to get those tasks done and let them know when the, when everything was accomplished, whether it was through a project management tool or, you know, a, a call, however we communicated. And so it was very much of a, a doer kind of role and an implementing. Actually, I remember my email signature was like, Val Geisler, implementer. Um, <laughs> and that was like kind of my, <laughs> instead of like founder or CEO, I was like, implementer when I was a virtual assistant. As I took on contractors and started doing more like kind of project management and then um, I'd say project managers and online business managers are kind of of the same ilk. They just kind of call themselves different things. Project managers tend to have, well, actually they both would either work with your existing team or maybe they bring in their own team. Um, in my case, it was like, I have this team of contractors and they're skilled at these things. And like, let's apply that to your business as, as needed. And as I moved into those roles, it was much more of a strategic role. So I started getting on calls and, and this was an, an up level for my clients. So if you remember, I kept the same clients from when I was a virtual assistant to um, then throughout my pregnancy and leading up to my maternity leave and even after my maternity leave for a little while. I kept those same clients and they, they kind of got a, a bonus and now they have this strategic partner who is out of implementing mode and into like, now we have regular calls. Um, most of them were weekly. We would get on the phone or, or Skype and talk through, you know, the pieces of their business that they wanted to improve or something that they had kind of been sitting on, but didn't know how to, to make it happen. Um, so my experience of working within their businesses already and, and then also working with a few different clients, you know, across different industries and in vastly different businesses, it gave me the opportunity to bring to them like, hey, here's some opportunities that I see for you. And here's how a process can be pr improved. Or, you know, you mentioned a long time ago that you want to do this particular improvement and like, let's, we actually have the space now to make that happen. Um, so in a much more COO kind of role, like a let's look at the big picture of how everything operates here. As a project manager, online business manager, I was doing things like, okay, so I am going to take a longer leave. We do have these contractors. You're starting to bring in more team members. Let's put together like a team handbook or a company manual or, you know, those kinds of things that didn't already exist. And so I would do some implementing um, in, in those cases where, where I was still doing some implementing. But for the most part, it was really that high-level strategy and then managing the people who were making it happen, typically a mix between my team and their team. Hmm. And I think this is such an important point because this is something that you taught to me too. 
when I was looking at first getting an assistant, I was kind of overwhelmed by the fact that there were so many things that they could help me with. It wasn't a lack yeah. of stuff. It was like, I could do all of this. I could do all the social media. There's all of these other things. I have like blogs that need to be published. But what I wanted inside of that was somebody that could also know what was most important and be able to make decisions or almost push back on me and say, well, we yeah, sure we can go to town over here, but is that hitting the larger business objective? And those are yeah. two very different questions, like doing something and implementing something and being able to put together graphics and media and post on the web and Google things and figure it out. Knowing how to do something is very different than knowing whether or not something is important to do in the first place. And that you yeah. were teaching me that. And it was just like such a light bulb moment where I was like, oh, I need help with implementation, but I also need outside help with figuring out like, is my strategy as clear as it could be? Am I headed in the right direction? And if not, I would rather know now than 12 months from now, having had somebody do all these great things for me that ended up not being that great. Right. And as a virtual assistant, I was, I couldn't help but be assigned a task and go, oh, I really like, this is not what we should be doing right now. Um, and as my relationship got better with the client, I was then able to go back to them and say, you know, I know you said to do this this week, but you also mentioned last week, you want to focus on this other thing. And is there something related to that, that we can replace that task with? Because I feel like this is distracting from the main purpose. And that's where I really started to move into that more of an online business manager role and kind of stretch those muscles a little bit um, within my virtual assistant role. And not to say that there aren't virtual assistants out there who don't have those conversations. There's definitely, there are, there are virtual assistants who have those close relationships with their, with their clients and have those conversations. And, and there are online business managers who don't have those conversations. They're actually really virtual assistants um, who are those implementers but they, you know, took a course on online business management and learned that you can charge twice as much in your hourly rates. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a little bit of that, like hmm. a title is a title, but a skill set is a whole different thing. So the interview gets a little bit choppy here because our Wi-Fi starts beeping in and out. And if I were to keep playing the track, you would just hear a lot of Val and me saying, did you hear that? Did, are you there? So I'm going to summarize what she said. We did get it, but the audio isn't so great. So Val tells me about how she starts working with ConvertKit. It's actually kind of similar to the story I shared back in episode one about how I started working with One Month. So in this case, Val shares with me that she pitches this six-week project to ConvertKit. They're a young company at the time. They have seven employees. And she says, hey, I've got a writing project. I've got this project for your email sequence, onboarding sequence that I can do for you. And Nathan, the founder of ConvertKit, comes back and tells her, well, actually, we've been looking for somebody to join our team full time. Why don't you just join our team? They negotiate and she ends up taking them on as a client for about 10 hours a week. And over the course of several months, eventually builds up the workload as she's wrapping up with other clients. She's finishing contracts that she already has existing. She's not dropping anybody. And then several months down the line, builds herself into a full-time job at this startup. So at this point, we had one child, and we knew that we wanted to have another. We knew what the ups and downs of entrepreneurship 
were like with a new baby and, um, and going, you know, going through everything that we went through with the first one as I was growing the business. Um, you know, there's a lot of highs and lows when you're growing a business and the strain that both a pregnancy and having a new baby um, can put on you is, is pretty incredible when you compound that with running a business. So, so we kind of weighed all those factors and, and I went back to Nathan and I said, um, I would love to work for you and I would like to do, um, you know, I have these other clients lined up. I'm not, I'm not going to leave them out in the cold. Um, I have too much integrity to do that. So I would like to start on a contract basis and, um, you know, please identify the most important things and um, we'll, I'll set aside, you know, a certain number of hours every week to work on those things for you. And, and then we'll, you know, we'll grow as my availability opens up. Um, and so that's exactly what we did. We, I think we started with like 10 hours a week and then um, one client wrapped up and then I had 20 hours a week to devote to it. And then that other client wrapped up. And then in January, well, in, in the middle of December, he said um, we were on Slack chatting right before an all team call. And he said, so can, can I tell everyone you're going to start full time January 1st? And I, mm-hmm. I said, uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, and I just kind of leaped into the, the full-time employment at that point and, and wrapped up my other clients. And January was really busy because I was still wrapping up those other clients. So I was putting in some really long hours. But, you know, again, I talked it over with my husband and um, we, we kind of anticipated that. So I knew January would be a busy month, but it also had an end frame. I always feel like if I know I'm going to go into a busy period, as long as I know the stopping point, I'm okay with that. Whether it's two weeks or a month or three months or whatever it is, as long as I know that end date, I'm okay with pushing through and, you know, having those long nights and um, those hard times. And you had your second baby while you were at ConvertKit. Yeah. Yeah. Ended up, uh, you know, fulfilling that dream of having another child and having a sibling for our older older daughter and and going through what it means to be um you know I had experienced pregnancy and childbirth and you know maternity leave and all that as an entrepreneur and now I've done it inside of a startup company too so it's there are a lot of similarities and a lot of differences and while the time you were at ConvertKit they went from how many people to how many people like do us about the growth rate change of the company oh Yeah, it was a massively growing company. So when I came in, there were 733 customers. And when I left, there were over (laughs) Uh, 13,000. And a team size? Yeah, so team size, I was higher number eight. And when I left, um, there were 24. So, um, and revenue increased with that too. You know, the, obviously with the number of customers increasing, the monthly revenue increases. So, so it just, as, as that year and a half went on, the company really changed as well. Uh, you know, it's a very different company when you're one of eight people than when you're one of 24 people. Tell me how, like, what are some of the differences you noticed? Yeah. Um, for instance, when I was one of eight, everyone reported to Nathan, everyone reported to the founder of the company. He went from doing everything to having people help him do those things. Um, so he was still very involved in every aspect of the company, even when he would hire someone. So he hired me to write the blog, but he still wanted to see the drafts of the blog posts, approve the topics, 
things like that early on. And, and he was still answering support tickets and um, just very involved in every aspect of the company. When I left, I, and in different roles throughout my last, I'd say probably six months prior to my maternity leave, it became a lot more hierarchical. So I had a direct report, uh, a boss who then reported to Nathan. Um, Nathan wasn't as directly involved in conversations. I, when I started, I had weekly one-on-ones with Nathan and probably six months in, um, I no longer had those weekly one-on-ones with him. I had a, a director that I reported to. Mm. So yeah, things like that, definitely. Hierarchy, um, kind of the org chart of the business definitely changed. And, and the focus. So when you're a smaller team and a smaller company, smaller co- number of customers, the focus can be on bigger picture stuff. So you can focus on like some of those marketing elements and um, it's a little bit broader. When you have 13,000 customers and you know a much bigger revenue stream and a bigger team, you have to start to dial down the focus into smaller metrics. So um, really looking at data points and like we didn't, decisions that we made in January of 2016 were really based on like, I think that would be fun to do. And, and uh, my gut tells me this is what our customers want. Decisions made in January of 2017 were the data tells us this is what people are needing and um, it's going to be really hard to do, but totally worth it. Hmm. That's a wild shift. And okay, so you, you've been also laying the groundwork for two maternity leaves. And, and can you talk to us? How was your first one as an entrepreneur? Can you just start with there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, my births were very different. So my maternity leaves were very different. With my first, I had a very long labor that resulted in a C-section. And so my maternity leave was a lot about healing physically. And it was my first child. So I had no previous experience in this. Um, I, my mother died four years before my daughter was born and, or three years. And so I didn't even have like my mom to talk to about what to expect or, you know, what she went through. So it was just like a total shock, both physically, emotionally. I had postpartum depression in right away. And then again at eight months postpartum with my first daughter. So I really, the maternity leave for, for that time period, I set it up for two months. I, you know, my team was operating the business while I was away, much like my uh, honeymoon, except for it was a longer period. And I set it up for two months. I came back to work part-time at three months and I had a babysitter here at the house. My daughter was here with me. So I was like nursing her in between calls and just kind of acclimating to, to work. And I always say that I really showed back up at work at about five months postpartum. Um, and that's also when she went to daycare. So when, um, when my daughter left the house and was somewhere else being cared for by people I trusted, that was when I could really show up and get work done. Um, having that separate time yeah. is really important for me. I know, it, I know that in-home care works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for me. I need, I need the separation. In contrast with my second daughter, I had a really easy labor. I was a VBAC, so I had a vaginal birth with her. I did not have postpartum depression. I knew what I was doing because I was a second-time mom. 
you know, we, she nursed easily. My first daughter didn't nurse easily. Um, so there's just like, it was completely different experiences of birth, which then impacted my maternity leave with this, this maternity leave ConvertKit has an eight-week paid maternity leave um, policy, um, four weeks for paternity and eight weeks for maternity, which is incredible. Incredible in this country, which I, I always feel yes. like it's incredible, and it, I shouldn't ha- have to say that. You know, like I, I should say that's not enough because it's very you know, basic. Parts of the world. Yeah, it's very yeah. basic, um, and yet somehow in this country it's extraordinary. Exactly. Yeah. So... I took that leave, but at the same time, I had a very different experience with, and, and this baby sleeps and my first daughter didn't sleep. And, um, and so, you know, I was able to work on my personal business a little bit more, which was always operating in the background. That's something that Nathan was always very passionate about was everybody, almost everybody who works at ConvertKit has like a side hustle. So, and that's, he loves that about the the company. And I mean, he even does too. He still writes on his blog. So my business had kind of always been operating in the background. Um, but I thought, what would happen if I put a little bit more energy into my business and um, started on that over my maternity leave? Well, I had this time and space to step away from my regular day-to-day duties at ConvertKit. And I had this baby who was a lot more manageable. Um, and my brain was, you know, with me as opposed to taken over by depression. So, um, so I, I, it definitely was a totally different experience for a lot of reasons, but I'd say the biggest difference between entrepreneurship and, and employment is that in entrepreneurship, I had to really plan. I took two months leave because I couldn't actually afford to take any longer. Um, Mm. I needed to get back to work so that I could bring the revenue of the business back up to a place where I was, bringing in revenue for myself. So I really took like a pay cut during my maternity leave as an entrepreneur. And then as an employed person, it was a fully paid leave. I didn't have to worry about any of that. Wow. So think about people who are pregnant right now and have never taken a maternity leave before. What would you tell them? Or people who want to get pregnant, what would you tell them about planning ahead and preparing for leave? Like, what should they expect? What should they know? Um, that everyone's experience is different. Uh, the one thing that I that I hear time and time again that I experienced myself is give yourself more time than you think that you should or want to. So, like I said, I I eased back into work, and I did that even after my maternity leave um, at Convert Kid as well. I my first two weeks back to work were part-time. And in the case of self-employment, it was like the first month was part-time um, back to work. And so like easing back into it for sure. But then I wish in both cases that I had taken even more time to begin with. So planning, you know, I planned for two months and then I really should have probably planned for three. Or, you know, in the case of ConvertKid, I had two months paid and they they also extended, you know, additional unpaid leave that if you wanted to take it. And I feel like I should have had those conversations with my husband about how can we make it work where I can actually take three whole months and, you know, spread out the two months of paid over that third paid month, that kind of thing. Um, but and I, I rushed back into working in both cases, even though it was like, oh, but I'm easing back in part time. Mm. Um, but it's, it's still working. That's still work. 
And it's still time away from your baby. It's still time that your brain has to be occupied by something else when really you're still like in a lot of cases, not sleeping, barely having time to like pump if you're a nursing mom or nurse your baby and, and feed yourself. And, um, you know, like all of those, there's like a lot of logistics when you go back to work, um, prepping bottles. If you're a formula mom, like that, that kind of thing, you've, you've got to figure out all of that additional prep and all that time that goes into your day. I mean, even just like before I got on the call with you, I was like, Oh, I need to pump before we have this conversation because <laughs> don't want uh, that in the background. To, right. And then I need to get my glass of water and I need to make sure I have a snack. So my mind is focused. And, and so that was like, okay, I need to start prepping for all of this, you know, 20 or 30 minutes beforehand. Whereas before, even when I was pregnant, I could just kind of like put things back to back with each other. I can't do four hours of meetings in a row anymore. Just doesn't work. Yeah. 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 I think that's something that a lot of people like, it's really hard to get your brain around, especially if you've never had a kid before, or you're not around a lot of people that have children, or they're not present in the world that you live in. It's really hard to wrap your head around like what the changes are that are coming. So that's what you would tell pregnant women and people who are thinking about getting pregnant about what to expect for maternity leave. What do you wish entrepreneurs or uh, people without kids or your men friends knew? about what maternity leave is like and what's important about it? Yeah, um, I actually got this question. So I was the first person on the convergent team to take a maternity leave. And I got this question kind of leading up to it. And then um, when I returned and and when I decided to leave ConvertKit, um, a lot of it, there were a lot of factors. Um, and one of the biggest ones was just time with my family. As in a growing startup, there was a, a demand for more time. And, um, and I just, literally didn't have time to give in that my daughter, my youngest daughter doesn't have childcare. We don't have childcare on Fridays. So it was like, well, I'm already going to be struggling on Fridays to figure out how I'm going to balance, even though we work remotely, I'm still going to be balancing like either babysitters or something. And so um, there were a lot of factors, but uh, one of the biggest questions that I was asked was, you know, what, um, what should we know? What should we have known? And the one thing I kept coming back to was that when you step away from your business um, as an entrepreneur or if you are working on a, on a team, it doesn't matter which one. When you step away from it for that long of a time period and you have this new baby that you feel like you, you're trying to figure out what they need all the time and how to do this motherhood thing, um, whether it's your first or your fourth, it's a new person that you're getting to know. And um, so you, you have all these moments throughout your day where you quite honestly feel like a failure. Um, mm. Like I, I'm used to knowing what, I, what I'm really good at and I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And this person can't talk to me because they're two weeks old. And, um, you know, I, I know to change your diaper when you're, you know, it's dirty, but if you're crying and I've fed you and changed you and, you're not tired and I don't know what to do. Um, that, that leaves a lot of women feeling like a failure on a daily basis. And then you've stepped away from this work that you know that you're really good at. And you start to question, like, does it matter if I go back? Um, when you're an entrepreneur, it's like, would anybody notice if I stopped sending emails? 
Um, like if I, if I never picked up my emails again, if you work on a team, you're a lot of times your tasks get handed off to other people on your team while you're away. And you start to wonder, does it matter? Like, so obviously they're getting along fine, other people doing my job. So who am I to this business, whether it's your own or someone else's? Right. Um, right. There's a lot of that like existential crisis that comes um, because you're also going through that as a new mom. Your entire world is different and you have that who am I question all the time. And so then returning to work after maternity leave and, and seeing like all these things either existed while you were away, like somebody took over a task for you or what happened in my case was everything I was working on was put on hold until I returned, which to me said, it's not that important to the daily operation of this business. Hmm. Like we can, we can just set it aside and no one's going to pick it up because we have other things like other things are more important than the job that you're doing. And when you have a baby and you leave that baby to go to work, whether it's your own company or someone else's, you want that work to matter because you're leaving behind this little person that matters so much to you. And so if the work that you're doing when you leave that baby at with a nanny or a babysitter or, you know, or at daycare or whatever you do, it has to matter. Um, and so I'd say that's the biggest thing is like, how can, how can the work that the women in your life who are pregnant or are taking a maternity leave, how can it matter enough that they want to return to doing it? And that's such an interesting way of phrasing it. Like it's, it's a pretty tall order for work, right? Instead of saying that women are failing or they're, they're leaving work or they can't hang with it. It's actually, no, what about work? What does work have to look like? It has to be fulfilling. You know, we have to feel good doing it. And if that doesn't satisfy it, if it doesn't satisfy those requirements, then why are we staying? Yeah. I don't mm. think it's that women are failing. Or I don't that, think so either. I think that's just a stupid yeah. narrative that's out there. Go on, go on, please. No, totally. I just like, they. it's not that women are failing or that we can't hang with it or like now we have this baby and so there's too many other obligations. Um, even And that was a little bit of the dialogue even in my leaving was like, oh, well now, you know, Val's going to spend time with her baby on Fridays and that's going to be her priority. And yes, and it's also that my work didn't really seem to matter when I, when I came back. Um, and 24 people is not as it's a large team compared to eight, but it's not a massive team. And so everyone's work there has to matter. And that's, you know, something that we talked about as a team a lot was the work you do for the company has to matter um, or you shouldn't be doing it. And so when I had time to step away and um, saw that none of those tasks were being picked up, it made me wonder, like, does this even matter? Um, and, and, it, and it didn't, and that's okay. Uh, and I just had to own that and decide, like, either I need to find work here that does matter or I need to do something else. Hmm. And, and so now we're back almost where we started, too, yeah. which is talking about this, this huge new project that you have that you had started and that now is really launching called The Hive. 
um, which yeah. is a place for people to work and have childcare on site, which is, I think, another one of those like radical but not radical ideas, right? It's like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, yes, we should absolutely have this. And like, wait, why are we not doing this everywhere? So tell us about yeah. what it is and, and what it looks like and where you're at with it. Yeah. So the hive was an idea when my first daughter was born and I was freelancing and thinking like, okay, I kind of, I, I want to know where she is all the time. I want to be able to hang out with her. I hated pumping and was like, I just want to be able to nurse her every time she needs it because this is awful. Um, and, and yet I didn't want her 20 feet away in the living room while I was sitting in my office in our house. Um, mm. That was like too close. And, and, and I also not only that closeness, but I wanted her to be able to be socialized. I want, wanted her around other kids and, um, and, and, and other caregivers. I wanted her to know I'm not the only person who can take care of you. Um, that you can trust. And, you know, I, that, that's been very important to me as a parent. So I had this thought like, oh, could this place exist? And, and, and as a freelancer, I only needed about 30 hours a week of childcare. And I was looking at paying for, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to six kind of childcare when if she didn't show up on Thursday, because I took Thursday off, then I paid for that time anyways. Um, and so the traditional childcare system is broken. Um, it only accommodates the like traditional working parent and um, 35% of the economy is freelancers. So, mm. you know, we, we need a solution for people who work flexible schedules. And when I was pregnant with my second, we actually lost the, the flexible daycare that we had for, for my oldest daughter. And so at, in that moment, I, I said, well, I'm, I'm going to bring this back to life and I'm going to actually do this project this time. It's one of those things that's like, I don't need to be creating this right now, but I can't <laughs> not create it. Yeah. Uh, I read an interview with the, the woman who founded Hintwater. Do you ever, you know what that is? That, oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So she was like, I couldn't find flavored water that wasn't like fizzy or contained a million other ingredients. And um, I did not need to be starting a beverage company when I did, but I needed this water to exist. And so here I am with a million dollar business and, you know, like I run a beverage company when I worked in the tech world before that. Um, but it's just, it, it was such an eye opener to me of like, yeah, I don't need to be doing this and I can't not do it. Amazing. I think that's so true across so many so many of the themes that we're touching on, like, we think we can yeah. plan pregnancy and plan our businesses, and it'll all work out perfectly. And yeah, and there's just so much where it's like, well, now we're here, and this has to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to have kids back to back and um, have them, you know, like one a year and a half in between the two. And I now know that that would not have worked well for me. <laughs> and I'm really glad that I have a three-year-old and a newborn versus a one-and-a-half-year-old and a newborn. You know, it works really well for some some people. And I just know, like, everything, it's that spiral staircase again. Like, everything is delivered to me for a reason the way it is and when it is. Um, and it's just, like, the different view along the path. But we're all, it's all going towards the same path. I'm, I still have two kids. It's just a different plan than what I thought. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know. So my last question for you is, 
How do you think you have changed like in becoming a mother and going through pregnancies and working at, in these startups? What, what ways are you different? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so many ways. Um, I feel like I own who I am more, which sounds like such a trite thing to say, but I am less apologetic about what I am and what I need, who I am and what I need. So I, you know, that, that conversation about how do you train someone who is like a quick responder and you're not, um, I think that before running my business and, um, especially before having children, I would have just said, okay, well, I just need to be a quick responder and I'll work with this person and it'll be fine. But now I, I say, I set the boundaries and I, tell them my expectation and, um, and I'm willing to say no. I think that's probably the biggest thing is I'm willing to say no. Whereas before um, both running businesses and having babies, I definitely said yes all the time mm. to my own detriment. Um, for instance, I know now um, I learned in the, the maternity leave with my second that my rule was that we do one thing a day. So if we had a doctor's appointment that day, that was, that was it. That was our outing for the day because we're both like, she is a newborn. I'm still in this postpartum period. I know that I've had postpartum depression in the past and I wanted to avoid that this time. And, um, and I, you know, I have a tendency towards anxiety and I wanted to make sure that I didn't feel anxious through my entire um, maternity leave. So, so I set this rule of one thing a day and that meant saying no a lot of times, a lot. People would want to come over, even just coming to my house. No, you can't come to my house. Like, just because I'm not going somewhere doesn't mean it's not a thing. Mm, um, mm-hmm. You know, we've already, I've already done my thing for the day and I'm available. Like, there were times where I'd say, how about like next Thursday? And it's like Monday. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what? You're not available until next Thursday? No, because I have one thing scheduled every other day and I'm not doing any more <laughs> than that. Yeah. Two things is too many. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. In, in the early days, it really is. It It is, because one thing takes like seven hours. <laughs> one doctor's appointment is a four-hour adventure. Get there and, you know, make yeah. sure that you have all that buffer time. And anyway, so I think that the biggest thing is being able to say no when I mean no. And and that's been a, a real gift. And it every time I do it, it encourages me to do it more. Thank you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit it home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. 
If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on startuppregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.